Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Every now and again, there's something happens to us that causes us to uh, be unable to speak. Sometimes maybe things are said or done that we shouldn't say anything to. Uh, and today's story, this, we're going to look at this character of, of Zechariah. And he, uh, he has an encounter, he has a moment that leaves him silenced. He kind of gets a bit of a spiritual shut up, if you will. Um, but we're looking at this story, this guy Zechariah, and he was a priest. And he and his wife Elizabeth are introduced at the start of the book of Luke in chapter 1. And in verses 5 to 7, it kind of tells us a little bit about them. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. And so sort of before we get to the song, we're going to kind of, I guess, build a bit of a picture about these two people, Zechariah and Elizabeth. So we're told three kind of very important things in this little introduction to them. The first thing is that both of their ancestry is noted as important, both Zechariah and Elizabeth. They both come from this priestly line, um, uh, which, which is which is important because later we, we learn that Elizabeth is related to Mary and that sort of establishes Jesus as part of the, the priestly line as well. But it also establishes Zechariah and Elizabeth as part of this line of people in the Bible who were barren. And there's all these stories in the Bible of people who struggle and cannot have children for whatever reason and then God changes something. And so... They're part of this same family line that Abraham and Sarah were part of, that Rachel, the wife of Jacob, was part of, that the mother of Samson, who's not named, was part of, and that Hannah, the mother of Samuel, was part of. They're all part of this family line. And so while we're told early on that they're barren, for the hearers, the readers of the day that know their Old Testament history, they'd go, oh, they're part of something bigger here. Maybe there's more to this story. The second thing we can see is that they are good people. They're some of the, the good ones, if you will. Maybe like some of you here today. When the Bible describes someone as righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, that's a good character reference. I don't know if any of us could be called that. I certainly couldn't. You know, they probably tithe 12% or something like that instead of 10 but they're, they're the good people, you know. They're, they're sort of the, if you will, the, the, the good Christians. They're the ones who do what God likes, what he asks. And yet, the third thing we learn about them is, despite this righteousness, despite all their moral goodness, they still suffer. I don't know if you're anything like me, but, but sometimes we sort of... I think we use our goodness or our good deeds or our morality as maybe a little bit of a bargaining chip with God sometimes. 
Like, you know, I, well, I'm doing all the right things. I'm good. So, God, if, if I do my part of the deal, you do, you'll do yours, surely. And yet we see that even though they are doing the right thing, the good thing, they're still suffering. There's still this unmet desire to have children. And so it's interesting, that's sort of our backdrop. These are the, the people. And so Zechariah is a priest and it's time for his group of priests, his division to go to the temple and they, they draw lots to see who goes in to light the incense and he's uh, the one chosen. And so he goes in to, to burn incense in the temple. And the incense is sort of, it's this symbolic thing that represents the prayers of the people rising up in a pleasant aroma to God. Um, David. King David in the Psalms, he says, when he's outside the temple, he says, let my prayers like incense rise before you. So he's sort of, you know, he's saying, well, I'm not in the temple, but I can still pray and God will still receive that as a, as a pleasant thing. And when you read some of the Psalms, you see they're not always pleasant words or emotions, but I think it tells us that God is pleased to hear our prayers, whatever they might be. And I wonder what some of Zechariah's prayers might have been in the temple as he prayed. An old man who couldn't have, couldn't have children, didn't have children, whether he was joyful, whether he was there out of a sense of obligation, maybe a bit of both. But he's in there and he's burning incense and we're told that outside everyone else is praying. And then suddenly an angel appears. Unexpected. And I think sometimes, you know, if you're anything like me and you, you grew up in church and you hear stories of angels and things like that all the time and you sort of maybe have a certain picture of what, what an angel might be like or look like or act like. Something I was struck recently as I was sort of thinking about this is pretty much every time an angel shows up in the Bible, they say, don't be afraid because the people are terrified. And so I think, you know, angels probably, they're not probably like babies with harps and wings. They're probably some, something pretty terrifying because otherwise, why would they say that? But Zechariah, is, he's freaking out. He's terrified. And he probably knows all the stories from Israel's history of what angels have done. And when you read some of those stories, when they act out God's will on earth, it can be pretty terrifying. And so he's probably thinking, what is going on here? What is this angel doing? And the angel tells him that you and your wife, Elizabeth, who's barren, will have a child. And you're to name him John, which means God is gracious. And the angel says to Zechariah about this child, he says, he will be a joy and a delight to you. This is verse 14. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Your child will be a child filled with the Holy Spirit before birth, before birth turning people back to the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Now that's a, that's a whole interesting thing. We're not going to get into it today, but if you want to ride an interesting train jump on that one later on but Zechariah is dumbfounded by this and he says like are you sure are you, are you know who I am like I'm Zechariah I'm really old 
my wife's also pretty old and, and barren. Are you sure you've got this right? And at this point, the angel kind of, Gabriel, gets a little, a little bit antsy, I think. It reminds me of um, if you've seen The Prince of Egypt, that film, and Moses is he's talking to, to God in the burning bush, and he kind of gets a bit, he kind of questions and, and he doubts, and the bush like flames up, and God's like, you know, I'm God, like listen up. Kind of reminds me of that. Because Gabriel says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And he's like, you know, I'm kind of a big deal around here. <laughs> and then he says, and now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And so Zechariah goes home and his wife, Elizabeth, becomes pregnant. And Zechariah, all throughout the entire pregnancy, cannot speak. And depending on what kind of pregnancy it was, Elizabeth might have just been thanking God <laughs> so much for that. <laughs> Boy, the best gift you can give anyone. And so the day comes and the baby is born and Zechariah is still mute, which, you know, my wife would have loved if I'd been mute probably throughout all of that process. And the people are asking, what, what, what's the baby's name going to be? And they assume he'll be called Zechariah. And that's, that's actually a hilarious first century Jewish joke because babies were normally named after their grandfather. And so if they're saying, oh, we should, you, are you going to call the baby Zechariah? They're saying like, Zechariah, you're so old. You may as well be the grandfather. Like, you, you know, so it's kind of a bit cheeky. Um, but anyway, so they, they, they're saying you're going to call it Zechariah, you know, because your dad's so old. But Elizabeth says, no, he's to be called John. And they sort of, they ask Zechariah and he still can't speak, but he writes on a, on a tablet, yes, he'll be called John. And at that moment, suddenly it says immediately he can speak again. And so he's had at least nine months, possibly longer, of not speaking. Um. And even if you're fairly introverted and you don't really like talking, that's a very long time to not talk. And he's had a lot of time to think about what he might say when he can speak again. You know, the angel says, you won't speak again until these things happen. So it's happened. He's had all this time. He's had all of these thoughts and emotions and, and probably wonderings in his, in his mind. And, and finally, they can be expressed. And it says he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he sings. And this is what he sings. He says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hands of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun from heaven will come, sorry, the rising sun will come to us from heaven, 
to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. It's this song of praise. It's a song of thanksgiving. It's a song of remembering God and his promises. It's also a song of prophecy of what is to come. It's a song of salvation. And the first part of the song, it speaks of the God of Israel. It reminds, I guess, speaks to God. It speaks to the people there of God's promises and his faithfulness, his promise to rescue and restore and redeem his people. Then he sings just a couple of verses about his son, John, who will be a prophet, who will prepare the way for the Lord, who will give people knowledge of salvation and, and baptize through forgiveness of sins. But then he turns to the future and he, and he has this sort of couple of verses, these prophetic verses about Jesus. And so that's where we're kind of going to focus today. And he says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. So a few things that I just want to pull out of that, I guess, to remind us of who Jesus is and what that first Christmas is all about. What Jesus actually came here to do, to show us, to give us. And I said this last time I preached, and I think it's, a, it's always a good reminder, is let's not just let the truth about Jesus be things that we just hear and kind of stop here or let them fly overhead, but let it just, let it sit a bit. Who Jesus is and what he is and what he's done is, it's, it's beautiful, it's incredible. And so it says that Jesus comes to show us mercy. It talks about the tender mercy of God. And Jesus came into the world to redeem it. And when you're at your worst, Jesus arrives with tender mercy. But not just when you're feeling your worst, which is, I think, often how we imagine God's mercy. It's also when we're behaving our worst that God's mercy is for us. When you've had a bad day at work and you kick the dog on the way in. Or when you've given your spouse the silent treatment over a petty argument when you've spoken harshly to your kids and you knew you shouldn't have, or when you've done some creative accounting and saved a bit of money on tax, or when you've hidden things from your family, when you're at your worst, when you're behaving your worst, is where Jesus shows up. And that is a good thing. Because into the mess of humanity is where he came. You know, we talk about, at Christmas time, we talk about God's name as Emmanuel, God with us. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus in the mess. So when you're at your worst, whether it's feeling your worst or behaving your worst, you can trust that Jesus is still there. He's there. And he has mercy for you. It also says that, uh, that he, it, Jesus is called here the rising sun from heaven. That's a beautiful picture. It wasn't great this morning, maybe, as, as, an, as an example, but, but last Sunday morning was particularly beautiful. Um, I was driving down to Lobethal, and, and I was driving in, in sort of this full, beautiful morning sun, and it just warms everything up. And sort of if you, you know, put a time-lapse camera out in the garden, you can see flowers open and they like turn towards the sun and all those sorts of things. This beautiful picture of the warm sun that rises 
the warmth of Christ that comes from heaven. And he came to shine light in the darkness to bring clarity to things that are confused. When I was a kid, I was like, I don't know if anyone else is the same, but I was really scared of the dark, like terrified, probably till I was about like 10 or 11 years old. Um, and I used to think there was a monster with tentacles specifically under under the bed. And what I used to do is when I, when I was going to bed at night, I would actually sort of do a bit of a run up and jump onto the bed because I didn't want the tentacles to grab me. And then if I needed to go to the toilet or get a drink or something in the middle of the night, I would get up and stand on the bed and kind of launch into a big jump sort of halfway across the room to avoid the, you know, the tentacles, obviously. I think I'd watched Pirates of the Caribbean with the, the big squid. Anyway. But... um. But what used to happen is sometimes it would get to me and you, you sort of, when you get in your head a bit and you, you wake up and you're just like, nah, it's, it's real, it's there, it's, it's going to get me. And that's when I'd start probably yelling out to mum or dad. Um, and, you know, if you yell out enough times, they come. And I've sort of learned that now as a, as, a, as a parent. You know, you have to, you let it go for a little bit <laughs> before you respond. But you know when you need to. And... And so I'd cry out and eventually, you know, normally dad would roll in, turn the light on, let's look under the bed. Yep, there's nothing there. It's all good. And I think, um, you know, that picture's helpful because Jesus came to show us the reality of things. And when you're a little kid, that monster under the bed, it's, it's real and it's, and it's scary and it's pressing. And when your dad comes in and flicks the light on, it's like, oh, it's all okay. And when Jesus comes to shine light into our lives and into situations, it's like our Father in heaven's turned the lights on and the monsters under the bed, whatever they might be for you, all of a sudden don't seem as significant, don't seem as scary, don't seem as, as real maybe. Because in the light of Christ and who he is, everything sort of starts to pale. And so Jesus came to bring light, to show us things clearly, to give us perspective on life. And I, you know, all this stormy weather that was predicted over the weekend, you know, watching the news reports, I thought, oh, the world's about to end. But I get really nervous in stormy weather ever since I've had a home because I get really scared about leaks and gutters falling off. And, you know, everyone here is like, oh, yeah, it's all the same. And you think, oh, there's lightning, but should I go up on the roof and check it? You know, that's probably a bad idea. So you don't, but you wish you had. And then anyway. But then, you know, and those problems feel really big at the time. But in the, in the grand scheme of things and in the light of who Jesus is, you go, this is not really a big deal. So whatever that is for you, I guess, I just hope that you can see that in the perspective of, of who Jesus is. And the other thing that, that's mentioned here is that Jesus came to guide us into peace. And so it's not a kind of a, I guess, a political statement about world peace, although I guess in a sense, in an ultimate sense, it kind of is. But the peace of God is experienced by peace with God. So the peace of God is experienced through peace with God. And the way that we have peace with God is through Jesus. 
is through what he did on the cross, is through accepting him. Oh, I've just turned Siri on accidentally. Accepting him (laughs) as our Lord and following him and trusting him. And, um, you know, it says in the book of John, in this world you will have trouble. And when trouble comes, it's hard to feel peaceful. But then Jesus says to his disciples, take heart because I've overcome the world. And there's this sense of, of, you know, life often isn't that peaceful. And, uh, and things get real sometimes and, and the bubble bursts and our comfort goes and our convenience goes and, and we sort of wonder, you know, what's, where's God in that? But God came, Jesus came to overcome the world and, and what that means is he, he came to overcome the things of this world that do distract us and do cause us to lose peace with God. And the peace of God, I think, it's sort of described well as kind of a, a deep calm, like a stillness in the depths of who you are. That sort of, you know, everything around can be, can be turbulent, but there's a steadiness. And we all know people who are, who are like that, who are peaceful, who no matter what sort of is barraging and hitting them and whatever's happening in life, they sort of have this kind of steadiness and this calm that just allows them to just keep going. And that's kind of what the peace of God is like, I think. It's this, this deep thing, this calm. And so that's, that's what Jesus came to do, to give us peace. And so what do we do about that? Because that's all of what Jesus is doing. What do we what do, we do with this mercy that, that meets us when we're at our worst? This light that brings clarity and shines through darkness. And what do we do with this peace? Well, I think as Christians, we're called to be that for other people. I think that we're called to show mercy to others, even when they're behaving badly, because that's what Jesus has done for us. I think we're called to shine a light in dark places because that's what Jesus does for us. And I think we're called to, to be people of peace, to be the person in your workplace that people are happy to see walk into a complicated situation because they're like, oh, good, this person is steady. They're peaceful. They'll help us through that. To be a safe place for your children or your grandchildren in a world that's unsure to be that stable environment. I remember when I was high school teaching, one of the, the things that I wanted most as a teacher, whether they learnt anything or not, is that children would feel safe in my classroom. That whatever was happening in the world around them, that they could walk in and just go, ah, for this next hour, I know I'm okay. And that's the kind of people that we're called to be. To be people that other people feel safe around, to be peaceful around, because that's what Jesus does for us, is when we enter his presence, there is a, a stillness and a calm. And so that's the kind of people that I think followers of Jesus can be. How can we do that? Well, it's certainly not by anything we can conjure up, because no matter how hard I try to be peaceful, it doesn't happen. We do this by the Holy Spirit. 
who works in us. The, the, the counselor, the advocate that, that Jesus sends. And so when you put your trust in this Jesus, he came as a baby, lived as a man and died in his early 30s and was raised again. When you put your trust in him, the Holy Spirit fills your heart like it did with John the Baptist before he was even born. And the Holy Spirit is what enables us to do all these things. I don't think the world needs more good people. I think the world needs people that are filled with the Holy Spirit because that's ultimately what brings people into places of peace. It's what will actually give genuine mercy and genuine light in dark places. And so today, be encouraged because God is for you. His mercy is for you. Whether you're behaving well or behaving badly, Jesus meets you there. Jesus came at Christmas to be Emmanuel, to be with us. So no matter what happens in life, whether Christmas for you is a a great time of family and celebration, whether it's a hard time, whether it's a bit mixed, which I think is often the case, just know that Jesus is with you through it. His peace is available to you and his light can shine through any darkness that you might be experiencing. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are the Prince of Peace, Lord Jesus, that you came to be with us on that first Christmas, to show us how to live, to bring joy, to bring peace, to bring healing. And Lord Jesus, I just pray for anyone here today who is maybe not feeling peaceful for whatever reason, for anyone who is not feeling like your mercy is for them, for anyone who's feeling like they can't see any light, that life is dark. Lord, I just pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would meet those people, that you would show them your incredible love. Lord Jesus, that we wouldn't just think about you intellectually or know about you because church and Christianity is something we do, but Lord Jesus, that we would know you deeply and personally and that that would change the way we live so that others might start to see the light as well. So Lord Jesus, we just pray, come be with us. Let us know your presence. And help us to see you more and more clearly this Christmas. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.